It takes more than great code to be a great engineer. This is Soft Skills Engineering, episode 59. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. Soft Skills Engineering is an advice podcast for developers and aspiring developers and retired developers. And people who want to destroy software development. They just hate it and are trying to bring it down, I guess. But we'll give you bad advice because we will not support <laughs> you and your goals. Actually, I changed my hairdo recently for the first time in maybe 15 years. Oh, wow. And I'm going for like the slicked back Draco Malfoy look. And I feel I feel a little bit more evil. Do you have like a jacket with big collars that come up next to your head? Uh, Not yet, but it's like the bad guy from the 80s <laughs> movies hairdo. I don't know. My wife likes it. Or depending on the 80s movie, the good guy. <laughs> yeah okay that's true <laughs> it's a definitely 80s it supports a wide spectrum of ideologies <laughs> it's inclusive <laughs> it is yeah all right uh let's see i have a comment here to share from a listener who wrote in with an interesting story uh this is from listener nate it's oddly specific by the way <laughs> this opening opening <laughs> sentence um october 9th 2013 uh nate did not include a time but i'm gonna guess this was about 3 p.m uh, captain's law center <laughs> october 9 2013 the company i was working at closed with no forewarning there were six of us and they paid us through the end of the month because of my network i had a job eight days later and had offers from just about every place i interviewed four years before that i wouldn't have ever thought of building a network and it wasn't even something i set out to do but as i did freelance i met some people at a, as i worked at a company i met other people as i interviewed people for open positions i met recruiters and they all helped me out. Three and a half years later, I have the best job I've ever had. I get to help define my own career here. I've created new initiatives like coaching that the entire company has adopted. Networking, without me even realizing I was networking, changed my professional life. Thanks, Nate. Cool. It worked out. I think sometimes we we think of networking as like a like a slimy ulterior motive thing to do, like you're taking advantage of your friendships. Yeah, I was just thinking that it's it feels like we need a a different word that has different connotations because you just meet people at work and at work related things and it turns out you work with those people later on maybe we could call it linkedinning linkedinning yeah <laughs> what if we turn it into uh like uh you're like mining your friendships like a resource <laughs> what if we call it like friend fracking or something <laughs> hydrofacking for friends and profit yeah <laughs> Anyways, thank you, Nate. I'm glad that worked out. Thanks for sharing that. We also have a comment about uh, an episode a couple of weeks ago where we mentioned that kind of keep all the things at the same level of abstraction. Like in a, in a meeting, right? Yeah, in a, in a meeting. It turns out that does have a name and it's called the single level of abstraction principle. And a bunch of smart people linked us to, to uh, references to that, which we will share in the show notes. So thank you. Yeah, that's cool. Also, that one is a cool acronym. SLAP. Yeah. SLAP. I'll just say it randomly in meetings and pretend like everyone knows already what it means. <laughs> Make sure to remember slap and then just continue on. And if you say it forcefully enough, uh, no one will question you because they'll be scared of what slap means. Yeah. And then maybe that will keep the meeting efficient anyways. So. I don't want to get slapped, so I'm going to shut up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess. All right. I will read the first question. This is from a listener, Boyan. 
Do you have any tips on how I can sell management on training? Uh, for example, buying course licenses, going to conferences, etc. It seems like no one in my current company sees the value of developers going to conferences, while some people from the marketing department are at a conference right now. Oh, <laughs> that's the best part. <laughs> yeah. It's like, hey, can I go to a conference? <laughs> no. There's no budget for that. Why is marketing at a conference? Shut up and go back to your desk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why aren't you working on your Jira tickets? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Seems like if you were really doing your job, you'd be too busy to ask questions. <laughs> I think this question is interesting partially because the topic is interesting, but also because it's a stand-in for how do I convince management to do something that I think is valuable that they do not understand the value of, like refactoring, mm -hmm. pair programming, uh, pushing back on deadlines, whatever. Like, there's, there's the specifics. Pit. Yeah, installing a ball pit. Um, stalling two ball pits. There's the specifics, <laughs> and then there's the general skill of like convincing people who aren't developers to to do things that you think are good, things that are intuitively obvious to you, but no one wants to give you them. Yeah, I think we've talked about profit and cost centers on the show before, Dave, but it's been a mm -hmm. while. Um, have you heard of those? Oh yeah. Can, do you want to define them for me so I can just oh, piggyback off of your knowledge? I just said I had heard of them. <laughs> I didn't say I knew what they were. <laughs> I've heard those words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you put them next to each other, they make different words that <laughs> mean something. So traditionally, parts of the company make money like sales could be a profit center because they sell your product to clients and bring in money. And then there might be like HR, which could be a cost center because they don't mm -hmm. directly bill or bring in revenue. Um, they, they take in money and then produce value in other ways, but it's not the, the, the output isn't like higher numbers of revenue. And, why, um, why are they called centers? Uh, what else would they be called? I, I was don't thinking know. like maybe like a profit bullseye and a loss bullseye, or like profit. Uh, like, are you thinking of like a collective noun, kind of like a, a murder of ravens or whatever? <laughs> yeah, like a, a gaggle, profit gaggle, <laughs> a giant bag of money of profit and a, a yeah. black hole of cost or something. <laughs> yeah, that's. I like those metaphors better. Okay. <laughs> it's a lot easier for companies to spend money on profit centers because they can more easily say like, if we give the salespeople a higher limit on their credit card, they bring in more money in sales. And yeah. Yeah. It depends on the company, but sometimes software can be a cost center because you just pay them money and they do stuff and that indirectly affects your bottom line. So some of it could just be the dynamics of your company. Like marketing could be on the sales side and they have a higher budget because they bring in money and, and software costs money and salary and benefits and stuff like that. And even if you do think of software development as a profit center where you're building product that can be sold for revenue, um, it's probably hard to see the direct correlation between investing in training and conferences for developers and what the outcome of that will be in terms of profit or revenue, right? Like, if I send my developers to a conference, it's pretty clear what the loss is, right? Or what the cost is. I'm going to pay for the airfare. I'm going to pay for a hotel and for the conference ticket. And I'm going to pay for three or four days of lost productivity and lost engineering output. But what do I get yeah. in return? Well, Dave, as someone who runs a conference, let me tell you what you get. <laughs> Incalculable value. <laughs> <laughs> the numbers are literally so big, computers can't hold them. Yeah. That's why it's, it's hard to communicate to management about it. It's like the black hole of profit. <laughs>
That's that's a good point. I mean, there are lots of kinds of training and investing in developers besides conferences. Conferences are really great for uh, like hearing about new things and meeting people, and they often have workshops around them, which you can mm-hmm. really dive down into and get training. I have found that in most conference talks, I I kind of like learn about stuff to dig into. I don't come back and say like, wow, that talk really helped me solve problem X I've been having. It's like, now I know what to Google instead of now I know the solution. (laughs) Now I know how to get started. (laughs) Yeah, they're they're great for exposing me to a wider variety of things, Um, but they're not necessarily outrageously practical most of the time because that's not, I don't know, I kind of expect conferences to be a little showier than that and a little more like they have a little more pizzazz i don't know how to say it more pizzazz less substance less not substance i mean it's not it's not substance it's like less there's the there's the spectrum of pragmatism to like showmanship i guess Mm -hmm. and they're kind of a little more on the showmanship and and like yeah cutting edge side and less on the like we have 10 million lines of java code that all depends on this one file like how do we refactor this (laughs) I don't know, yeah. all, all the nitty-gritty, like, boots-on-the-ground business software problems you have. It's almost like a little bit more on the entertainment side, actually, I would say, in some cases. Yeah, yeah in some cases, which is great. I like to be entertained by software. Me too, but it's a little bit hard to sell your boss because you may as well say, I want to go to a movie theater for three days and watch <laughs> movies. <laughs> Will you support that? <laughs> yeah. No, I... I don't think it's purely, this might be a tangent, um, but, and also I'm super biased because I run a conference that everyone should go to because it's amazing. It's called React Rally and you will learn and benefit and become a better human being and better software developer. But I think the entertainment is, is not just entertainment for entertainment's sake. It's like seeing what is new and exciting about your field. And generally what is new and exciting is, is a little bit further out from what you can use in your day job. That's true. And I don't know, there's a chance that it will be a preview of what is coming and you can kind of get up to speed early, Mm -hmm. but some of it will just like never, I don't know, some new and exciting stuff never comes to pass. So that's true. Or it might just install permanent envy in your heart for the people who get to use the new stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, the new stuff will always change. There will always be someone using newer stuff that you can't use. You want to talk about training like the courses? Yeah. I mean, there's lots of things besides conferences because uh, aside from... Uh, ignore the whole conversation about how valuable our conferences really they yeah. are really expensive mm-hmm. um you can get an, a subscription to like Pluralsight or egghead or front-end masters or any of these like online video training sites mm-hmm. for way cheaper than that and you don't have to cover travel it takes up less time you can like squeeze it in in between your tasks yeah and some people get i, I would say for practical like problem solving those those might be um a lot more useful because they cover very pragmatic things it's like how do i use this specific tool yeah exactly to to solve this specific problem yeah um so so there's there's also a large spectrum of ways you can invest in training conferences aren't the only way i think when it comes to online training courses it's basically a no-brainer if one of your developers says i want to get this license and it's going to cost a few hundred bucks a year it's like just write the check it's like they're going to learn it's going to be very focused stuff they'll be able to search for material that's directly relevant to their work just write the check like any manager that puts up a fight about that i'd be surprised i mean i I think you have to consider their perspective they're just seeing a developer ask for money 
and they need to see some return on investment. I feel like we've danced around that, but that's like the magic yes. thing you're going for. Why don't we go there? Let's go right there. Okay. Right to the yeah, bullseye. We, return on investment. Uh, the company will do it because it's good for them. They're not, I don't know, companies Companies are weird creatures that don't do anything out of the goodness of their heart. That's so true. you need to convince them that it is good for them to have you learn more and, yes. and be a better developer. You can use things like um, metrics, which this starts to get difficult to measure, but you might be able to measure how much time you and your team are spending thrashing, looking for solutions, and then backtracking when you find bad stuff, um, or you, when you discover that the path you've gone down is suboptimal. And if you can measure that and then say, look, if we had some some of this course material, we could probably focus our efforts a little better and just uh, go down one path and agree on patterns instead of having to like each be going a million directions or wasting time backing out changes that turned out to be bad, stuff like that. Yeah, looking at bugs and, and architecture problems that caused mm -hmm. you to, to spend more time than you expected. Um, often this can also come as a team picks a new technology. So say you're building a new project or migrating a project to a new thing. You pick the thing and then like you want to make sure you're productive in it. So um, it's it's relatively easy at that point to justify. We need to yeah. invest a couple hundred bucks in getting better at it. It'll make us build way faster. Mm -hmm. But I, I, think both, I think both these things have at their heart is that you as the person asking for this need to know why you're asking it. Do you really need this training and how do you know? Is it just a feeling? Did you see some advertising? You know, what is the actual benefit? And until you can quantify yeah. that, you really shouldn't go asking for it. Yeah, I, I think people have different philosophies about this. Some people think um, your job as an employee is to do the work of the company. And if you want to get better at stuff that isn't directly related to the company, you kind of do that on your own time. Some people think that you should invest in making your developers better no matter what, and that'll keep them around and it'll create like a culture of excellence right. kind of, you know, and, and those are just different tool. values. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you if you can sell it to your manager as if we become known as this place that really invests in developers that helps them train and become better and helps them learn new things, people stick around, people want to work here, it'll be easier to hire We'll have uh, we'll we'll get smarter and better work done also, but it's kind of like the culture we want to create. But again, you have to you have to convince them that that's a thing they want and it's worth yeah. the price. Yeah. What about on-site trainers who actually come to your company and spend a couple days with you? Um, I have done that for someone. You were the trainer, or you were the trainee? Yeah, I was the trainer, and I think I sucked at it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've never had it. I've never been part of a training, um, but I've been around teams that have, and they seem to really like it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, it's cheaper than conferences overall. It's generally like more expensive as a one-off thing, but you don't have to pay for travel or hotel or anything. You think it's cheaper? Um, I think it's only cheaper if you have enough participants. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like a conference is probably going to be a few thousand bucks, <clears throat> including travel and hotel and the ticket, which will be the smaller part of the cost and a trainer might mm -hmm. be like 10 grand or something. Oh yeah. So yeah, at least it could be tens of thousands of dollars. So if you have 50 engineers who are going to benefit from it and you can start dividing that cost among the engineers, it starts to be pretty good. But I still think the cost um, could be close to conference costs. If you divvy it out per engineer. Sounds like I undercharged. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, mo I think most trainers do actually uh, who are just starting out. Like it's a pretty lucrative market. 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've never been a part of one. It, it feels like tra- like in-person training is as far as you can get on the super pragmatic boots on the ground, like mm-hmm. help you with your day job thing because someone is like looking at your code and, and the, the benefit of them being there in person is they can yeah. answer questions and, yeah. and talk about specifics. And video trainings are all uh, very pragmatic and specific, but there's not much interaction exactly, there. Exactly, exactly. I want to play devil's advocate for just a minute. So as engineers, we have to learn new stuff all the time. Some new technology comes out, some new market emerges or whatever. You've got to be able to jump on that and get up to speed. Do you think that we should depend on trainers, conferences, and online like paid training material to ramp up on new technologies? That is a great question. I don't think we should depend on it for the cutting edge stuff. It feels like the role of conferences is to expose you to new things. Mm -hmm. But if there were no conferences, it would be a lot harder to hear about like the new rising JavaScript framework or Mm -hmm. serverless or containers or Kubernetes or all these like kind of newish technologies. Mm -hmm. And they kind of diffuse through the developer consciousness from people speaking about them at conferences over and over again. But you don't learn about them at conferences, really. True. You just learn what they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I L- Go ahead. Like, I'm kind of thinking of the tools that I use day to day. And it's like, you know, there's o- operating system stuff. There's source control stuff. There's editors. There's frameworks, libraries, programming languages, um, infrastructure tools. Like, if I had to do, like, a multi-day training on each of those things as i learn them and pick up new ones i would probably spend like a third of my time just training and and so what i do instead is i kind of learn things on demand and honestly pretty superficially just to get the job done that i need to get done it sounds like we should talk about return on investment dave oh you can totally learn all this stuff on your own if you have help from someone theoretically that help makes it so you learn them much faster and then you struggle less you get through the gotchas Mm -hmm. you learn about all the weird little stuff that would trip you up learning on your own okay so i don't think i mean i don't think you need it like you could just go read the linux source code (laughs) that's good training (laughs) instead you could read the blog post that someone who wrote the who who read the linux source code wrote for you or you could pay the guy who wrote the you could pay linus torvalds (laughs) to come to your office (laughs) i think the only thing you could pay him to do is like come slap you in the face (laughs) i don't know what he would do all right i mean there's there's one more issue about conferences you mentioned them specifically there's one more issue that we didn't talk about which okay. is something that often happens when people go to conferences and what's that besides getting amazing food free hotel uh, have yeah just have the time of their life um sometimes they quit their job and get a new one at mm-hmm. the conference <laughs> like you meet you meet someone they have a great company yeah yeah you run into like some programming hero and they're like oh you seem super cool come work with me and then the company that sent you has now sent you to a new job hooray (laughs) (laughs) on their dime yeah (laughs) yeah they they probably don't love that i mean yeah one of the purposes of conferences is to network and networking gets you different jobs as our first comment so this is today. this is not a theoretical situation like jameson and i have both seen this happen <laughs> yep <laughs> for sure yeah as a conference organizer it makes me happy um because we're like connecting people and making people's lives better but if 
if the company sent you to the conference only to lose you as after they invested in you, then they would be sad. So you might want to bring that up with management to say, look, I know that you might be worried about me getting another job, but I promise to avoid being recruited. <laughs> Maybe they weren't worried until you mentioned it. They were like, like, oh, that can happen. That's another reason we're not going to pay for <laughs> <What>? you. <laughs> no one is ever going to conferences ever again. All right. Question answered. I think so. Question answered. Question answered. Okay. Do you want to read our next question? Yeah, sure. Um, this one comes from an anonymous listener and it says, my recruiter thinks that he may be able to get me an interview in the next few weeks for a junior developer position at a major health insurance provider. A little over five years ago, I took and passed three actuarial exams. This is a significant achievement. Is this something that I should put on my resume or mention in an interview? I'm afraid that the elephant in the room will be, why don't I have an actuarial job? My degree is listed as being in mathematics with the emphasis in actuarial science omitted. Employers in actuarial science are interested in people with a near-perfect academic record, and my journey through university was long and winding with lots of self-discovery. That is such a good way to say that you didn't get a perfect academic record. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to cop that. That's a good yeah, one. I'm going to start saying that. You might have a future in marketing actually. <laughs> My journey to weight loss was long and winding with lots of self-discovery <laughs> about Oreos. <laughs> oh, that huh. We don't mean any offense here. I think that's actually, you know, your story is obviously your story and we have no uh, it's yeah. not a fat joke. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. How will your employer know what a significant accomplishment getting an act or passing the actuarial exam is? I would have no idea. Yeah, me neither. If someone just listed like passed it, the actuarial exam, I'd be like, okay, is that like the driver's ed test where? Yeah. <laughs> Open you book. Just read it for ten minutes, and <laughs> yeah, then you then you pass it. Or I think that's going to be the biggest challenge you have is translating the achievements that you've completed and the effort you put in into the only thing the potential employer cares about, which is, will you do a good job and produce value for me and my company? Yeah. So if, if you want them to know it's a big deal, you would have to kind of explain it to them, like pass this exam, which most people don't pass and shows that I'm real good at numbering or mm -hmm. I don't, yeah, I don't know what's involved in it. <laughs> so I, I actually have interviewed someone who was an actuary as, for a software developer position. Um, mm. They did pretty good in the interview. They uh, they had been self-teaching. Pretty well in the interview, Dave. No, I passed the English <laughs> exam. <laughs> You're an English actuary. Yep. <laughs> they an did English Excuse area. me. They did pretty well in the interview. They were self-taught completely in, in software development, and it was obvious that they were pretty smart. Um, we didn't talk about the actuarial experience at all. In fact, uh, I had no, I didn't know anything about it. My boss, though, he was interviewing and he knew that was a big deal. Um, so if I hadn't had that input from my boss, I would have just written it off as completely irrelevant, non-transferable experience. And I wouldn't have even considered it as something that makes them smart, which usually um, when you're hiring engineers, you're looking for a, a level of smartness. Is that a word, Jameson? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> The exam didn't cover that. Ah, what do I do? <laughs> so I think from my uh, understanding of this and my experience hiring people, if they have non-directly -tran non transferable experience, um, what the only thing you want to communicate is that you're smart. And you can't just say, I'm smart. You have to somehow... <laughs> You have to somehow explain the data points that support that and let the interviewer come to that conclusion on their own. It'll be more, yeah. more ingrained that way. Listen, Dave, let me tell you something about myself. I'm pretty smart. 
I'm really smart. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard a smart person say that to me, by the way. I think there are transferable skills, but you need to explain why they are transferable. If you come from a career that is not software, um, I mm-hmm. think it's helpful to have a story about why you moved into software, why you moved away from your old career, and why that will give you a unique advantage. Often that can be uh, advantages in people skills and communication where you had to work a lot more directly with other people. Your work wasn't as much kind of like sitting alone crafting this code artifact, mm-hmm. but there can be other benefits too. But but those are non-obvious to people like Dave said. Yeah. And, and part of your job is to use that to show the value that you have. Uh, I assume if you pass the actuarial exam, you, you could probably say something about how like you did the numbers on the career in act in actuarial science and they sucked or something i don't know yeah i used my skills that i used to pass the exam to determine that the career was bad (laughs) that's a good idea just let me just give like a silly example to help illustrate how hard it is to communicate that your skills in an unrelated field could translate to software development like let's say you're applying for a position to go work on uh, ruby on rails web application but you're really good at organic chemistry. And, and that's what you're, That's the only thing you have to draw on. Imagine yourself sitting in a chair across from the interviewer and saying, look, I can identify like the methane and the butane and the octane so fast. I'm going to be really good at Ruby on Rails. You know, like, it's just, it just doesn't really come across. So I think rather than trying to transfer your experience and, and like shoehorn it into software development show them with through their interview process that you're good at software development and then explain that you're smart by describing these other things from your past um i can't tell if we're saying the same thing or disagreeing no i think so i think I, we're took, agree- I think we're agreeing okay oh, i wait, took wait, organic wait, wait, wait. chemistry i haven't and- heard what you're about to say though so <laughs> okay <laughs> sorry i feel really dumb now <laughs> <laughs> i took organic chemistry and it was like this it, it was like there was a, a veil in my brain that prevented me from seeing the the knowledge of organic chemistry. It, there's some mental block or something. It was the hardest mm-hmm. class I ever took. I failed it once and then took it again to like barely pass it so I wouldn't have an F on my transcript. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if someone told me they were good at organic chemistry, I would think they were basically a wizard or a sorceress. And they could do anything. Yeah, and, and they were capable of inhuman feats of of knowledge and productivity. I mean, yeah, I don't know what being a working organic chemist is like. I remember the class was a lot of like visualization and spatial reasoning and and stuff like that. And that stuff can definitely help you in software design. I completely lack it, but uh, some people have it and they use it to think about architecture or how code fits together or data structures or I don't know. Mm-hmm. Just thinking abstractly about um, structure can can be helpful. So is that kind of what you're saying, Dave, that you, you, you can't just no. say like, I combine the beakers and they make good, they, they, they turn lead into gold. So therefore <laughs> I will turn crappy code into good code. <laughs> you have to like pull the more generalizable skills out of your experience. Oh, I, I think that that your story right now where you just said like, because I'm good at these these chemical spatial visualizations and like putting problems together in that field, that will mean that I'll be good at producing Ruby on rails code for your company. I think that if I was hearing that story, I'd be like, uh, okay, I don't believe you. (laughs) I I just, I just can't see it. I can't really connect those dots. Oh man, we have different ways of thinking about the world. This is interesting. It's never happened before. 
I don't think I would just believe it if someone was like, well, I've never done it, but I believe that these skills will transfer. But if they had a convincing story about how they used it as like a, a way to frame how they thought about code, I think that would be appealing to me. Because hmm. I believe that experiences outside of code can affect how you think about code and, and give you metaphors and, and kind of frameworks to solve problems beyond just like big O and all the very computing hmm. specific stuff, you know? Maybe I'm just in a snarky mood right now, but I'm thinking to myself, if I were an interviewer, I'd be like, oh boy, if we hire this organic chemist, we're going to be in for a lot of chemistry <laughs> metaphors. <laughs> if if someone had like a degree in literary analysis and they explained to me how that helped them deal with like the meaninglessness of fastly <laughs> written enterprise code, I would, oh man, I'd be all over that. I would love that so much. You know, on the other hand, I have worked with two maybe three English majors as developers, and they were excellent. I mean, they were, their code was so easy to read and understand compared to many others. So maybe that's, yeah, that's, maybe that's a transferable skill. That's a really common example that writing skills transfer into coding skills because it's communication. You're communicating mm-hmm. to a reader, putting structure into stuff. I, I think that applies to other things. We just don't hear them as commonly. Yeah, so I would... I think if I were the interviewee in this case, I would mention it. I would give enough context so that the interviewer can know that it means that I'm an accomplished, intelligent, uh, capable person. But I would probably not go much farther than that with this. Hmm. That's just what I would do. Well, we kind of agree. I Yeah, I, I think you you can't just put, did this exam. Um, and I think your job is to sell your experience as, as relevant mm-hmm. to the field. Cool. Question answered? Yeah, I think so. Let us know how that goes. Yeah, we'd love to hear about it. I'm sure that there's a lot of different people and some would be, I'm sure a lot of people would respond differently to that one, you know? Dave, where can people go if they want to hear more from us? Jameson, they can go to softskills.audio. <laughs> Although I don't know why you'd want to hear more. <laughs> but if you want to ask us a question, you can also go there and fill out a little form and you can give us some information. Uh, you can also... Find us on Twitter at SoftSkillsENG. Follow us. Um, many of you have. And that's the best way. Those are the two best ways. They're both the best. Also, um, we have gotten lots of stories recently of people who have, like, really upgraded their careers. Um, like, they've found better jobs. They've making more money, doing things they enjoy more with, uh, you know, with people who are really impressive and cool. So that's been really cool to hear about. And we'd love to hear more about that. We also want to hear counterexamples. If you if you <laughs> tanked your career by following some of our advice, let yeah. us know. <laughs> or even even if you just like did minor damage. <laughs> yeah. You know, tanked minor damage. Either way. I'm always on the lookout for things to feel guilty about. So that would help me a lot. <laughs> uh, I think that does it. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next week. Bye bye.